We're in this uh, series called uh, Addition by Multiplication. No, Multiplication by Addition. What's the name of this? Multiplication by Addition. And, uh, and the premise of this uh, series is, is really that God can take ordinary people and multiply kingdom things through ordinary people. He can do, we've heard this saying before, he can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And, and so we're taking a look at uh, different characters in Scripture where we see the work of God in their life and how that affected uh, the future, how it affected the kingdom of God. And last week, uh, we took a look at the life of Esther and saw that Esther had a calling in her life, uh, Scripture says, for such a time as this, right? And so she's got this calling in her life. And she steps into that calling with boldness and courage. And what we found was that because she was willing to walk in that obedience, we saw many, many, many people come into faith in God because of that decision. And, and so it was just this unique opportunity for us to continue to say, okay, God, how are you calling me? How, what are you leading me into? What opportunities and divine moments are there for my life? And today, uh, we're supposed to be looking at the story of this unlikely shepherd boy named David and his band of unlikely leaders, uh, these warriors that he had, and how he led them and how his leadership multiplied their leadership. And uh, we're supposed to talk about that, but uh, I went to this conference this last weekend, uh, or this last week, it was our fall conference for our district, and and I sat in a service on Tuesday night, and I listened to someone who's quickly becoming someone that I respect and appreciate and speaking into my life. And as I listened to John speak, I recognized that I've got a, I've got a problem in my life, that it, it really messed me up to the point that it messed this message up. We're going we're gonna to look at the life of David, or at least the words of David, in just a moment, but we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. What we know about David is that he was just this shepherd out in the field, minding his own business, and God tells Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint a king. And so Jesse brings out all the obvious choices, all the obvious choices for, for his sons that are going to be king. And Samuel looks at all the obvious choices and says, no, there's got to be someone else. And he's like, well, there is someone else, but he, he ain't going to be king. And he's out in the field and he's like, I want you to bring him to me. He brings him from the field into the house. And as soon as Samuel sees him, he says, yes, that's the one. And he gets anointed king. He doesn't become king right away. He runs for his life from a guy named Saul who was the king at the time. And he eventually steps into his rightful anointing. He becomes the king of Israel. And David, as king, wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. David murdered David committed adultery. David becomes one of those characters in Scripture that we like to compare ourselves to when we're thinking about 
how bad of a Christian we are, right? Because we're like, well, I didn't kill anybody, so at least I'm better than David, right? That we, we fall into this trap of comparison where we're like, ah, I didn't commit adultery, so I'm not as bad as David, and David was a man after God's own heart, and so he must really like me because I haven't done these things. David wasn't a, a perfect person, and yet he was someone that was referred to as a man after God's own heart. In one of the Psalms, David gives us this reminder as to what all of this is about. About this, what all of all of follow, being a Christ follower and, and going to church and singing the songs. He gives us this picture of what is, is what it's really supposed to be about. When we look at the scriptures, we, we see people like the disciples. We see people like Peter, who Peter as a disciple uh, who was walking with Jesus was really kind of a big mess. Right? I mean, he, he was lopping people's ears off. He was denying Jesus, not on one occasion, but on multiple occasions. He was, the guy just, he made a lot of mistakes. We could look at him and say, well, he's just like me. There was other disciples that are jockeying for position. Who gets to be at the right hand? Who gets to be at the left hand? And you get mom saying, oh, my boys deserve it. And it's just, it's just kind of messed up. They, they didn't have a good perspective of, of what it meant to be a Christ follower. And then something happened. Jesus dies on the cross. He, he's risen, and he, he leaves them a gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, you're going to need this. And from that moment on, what we see is, is we see this transformation take place where Peter, who was really just a mess, now all of a sudden is preaching messages and 3,000 people are getting saved. And, and there's this work that's taking place and the advancement of the message of Jesus Christ is going out into all the world. And the question is, why? How did a diverse group of people who kind of didn't have their stuff figured out all of a sudden become this force to be reckoned with with the advancement of Jesus? But for the Holy Spirit. See, the life, a life in the Spirit is not just a New Testament idea. God has been revealing the vitality from the, uh, from the one who comes into this place of living in the Spirit. We can see all throughout Scripture, and we see David begin to understand what it is to live in the presence of God, the presence being the presence of his Holy Spirit. Which brings me to this. You all are wondering why these are here. You probably thought... I was, it was really nice of me to give these to Heather as new staff members and stuff. And as I walked in, I said, these aren't for you. <laughs> I said, these are an illustration. We like flowers, don't we? We 
We spend a lot of money on flowers. I, I spend a significant amount, not as much as I was going to because uh, Kim and I arranged these this morning. We did a pretty good job, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> there, there, there. I need some affirmation this morning, y'all. So how many of you buy your, your wife flowers? Just see a raise of hands. How many of you buy your husband's flowers? Yeah, yeah. Veronica's like, I do, I do. I, he, when he has a rough day, flowers cheer him up. Flowers cheer us up, right? When, when somebody goes into the hospital, what's oft, what often do we, we bring to them in the hospital room? We bring them flowers. When, when people are sad, we bring them flowers. When, when there's the death of a loved one, there's flowers. When your wife has had a hard day, or your husband, in the case of Veronica, has had a hard day, at work, you bring them flowers. I used to bring my wife flowers, and then we got married. <laughs> and now I don't do it anymore, and I, I have a reason for this, but life, living a, a life in the Spirit, the reality of these flowers as beautiful as they are, and they are beautiful, they smell amazing, that's the lilies that I can smell, but as beautiful as they are, these, this is dead. It's dying. This has no more life in it. It is in process of dying. It can bring beauty, the beauty can put a smile on your face, but the reality is it has lost the capacity to live. They have the appearance of joy, but the reality is their life is nothing more than a semblance of what it used to be when it was planted. They know longer have this ability to live anymore. And when Jesus came to this earth, he said, I came to bring life and life abundantly. Now contrast this with a seed that is planted in soil, planted in the ground. As long as it remains planted in the soil, then we understand we can have a picture and understand the fullness of the Spirit. Life is abundant when it is planted in the ground. Life is fruitful when it grows. It's, it's able to reproduce even. And I would say that it's time for us as followers of Jesus, and I don't just mean our church, although I would say that for our church, it is time for us to refuse to settle for some kind of empty spirituality that denies the power of the Holy Spirit. It denies the the plantedness in the presence of the Holy Spirit and settle for just being a cut flower. Dio Moody uh, says it this way. He says, you might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, or breathe without lungs as to try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. 
As I was sitting in that service on Tuesday night, listening to my friend deliver a message that was seemingly aimed at me, you know, I have people at times come up and say, that message was just for me. Uh, In fact, just in between services, somebody came up and said, I hear you, that message was for me. I get it. And I said, actually, the message was for me. You just got to be the beneficiary of it. We have that. And, and this, in this moment on, on Tuesday night, I was sitting there and I was listening and I didn't even take notes because I was so drawn into the message and it was, it was directed right at me. And there was a passage of scripture that was going through my head as I was listening to John speak. And it was Hebrews eleven six, And it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And this was the portion that that was really going through my head. And it says that he rewards those who seek him. And this is why that messes with me. Because I think in our modern Christianity, we have perpetuated this notion that those who seek a message, those who seek a church service, those who seek a specific leader or pastor, or those who seek the latest book will be rewarded. And the reality is, is that's not the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word that says, when you seek him, you'll be rewarded. We live in a time where The answers that we need are not going to be found in the human knowledge that we possess. For some of us, we've been attending church a very, very long time. I remember going to the church since I can remember. My parents were pastors. I grew up in the church. I was the, uh, the punk pastor's kid who was always doing stuff at the church. And although I loved being at the church, I was always causing problems. And, and I grew up in the church and I've never stopped going to church. For some of you, you've maybe only recently started going to church, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But I've gone to church my entire life. People ask me all the time, do you go to church when you're on vacation? No. No, I don't. And I think there might be a problem with that. Now, if you go on vacation, you don't go to church. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, I I wondered in that moment as I was sitting there on Tuesday night, why I don't. Why do I not go to church when I'm on vacation? What is it that's about church that doesn't necessarily invite my longing to be a part of it? I wonder if maybe church for me has become so much about an environment and songs and a service that I've stopped encountering the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so why would I go? I'm not in charge of the service. That doesn't make sense. Could it be that, like me, you're bored? That we go to church, we go to the service, we serve, we give, we do that, but the reality is, is we have real 
problems in this real life and we come expecting that this is going to have all the answers. And the reality is, is it seems no matter how much we come, no matter how much we serve, no matter how much we give, those problems, those struggles, those trials, they still remain and we don't have any hope and we don't have any answers that come from it. Could it be that we don't come expecting the presence of God? Could it be that we don't enter into the presence of God? See, David, David understood this, right? He understands this, and I want us to take a look at, at a passage that my friend used this last week from Psalms chapter 16. It starts off by David saying, and this is a, interestingly, a worship song. This is a song that, is, that David is singing, and I'm not going to sing it for you. So I just wanted to give you the context. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And he says something interesting. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Meaning that there are going to be people who are going to multiply. There's going to be people who are searching for other things than the presence of God. They're going to start looking for answers in all of these other things. He talks, he, he uses the word, they'll run after another God. We could use the word idol there. We could use the word whatever. Like, what is it that you're seeking your answers for other than the presence of God? He goes on and says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And he says, you hold my lot. In other words, he's saying here, you are everything that I need. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what circumstances you're going through, my question to you this morning is, does he hold your lot? Does he hold your inheritance? Does, because that's the question I had to answer sitting in the back row of a conference on Tuesday night. Do I really believe that he is everything I need? See your portion. David goes on and said, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And then he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. How many of us have been shaken in our circumstances. And then he switches the language a little bit. He says, therefore, because of all of this, because you are at my right hand, because you, I find refuge in you, because I am blessing the Lord who gives me counsel, because of all of that, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. 
My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. How many times do we hear the question, I just want to know what my future looks like. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The reality of this world that we're living in is that we have real problems like parents dealing with their children's depression and anxiety. The reality is, is that we have parents who struggle to help their children because they themselves are dealing with depression and anxiety. We, we have the re- real struggles of this life when we are given a diagnosis that's terminal or or just debilitating. We struggle in this life when we have a family member or a spouse or a loved one who's been given a diagnosis. We have these real struggles in this life where we don't even know how to repair our marriage or deal with our marriage. And that is the reality of this world that we live in. And I think as a church, we... I don't just mean us, but maybe the church as a whole in this context do a disservice to all of you expecting that we can just come sing some songs, go through a sermon series, and expect that the real challenges of our life will change. You don't need another sermon series. We're going to give you another sermon series, but you don't need it. You don't need to hear another message. You don't need to hear, you don't need to, you do need to sing more songs, but. (laughs) So I have a confession for you this morning, and and I confess this in first service. Uh, But part of the reason this messed me up is because as as a pastor, it's easy for me to become very, um, critical. You know, everything that's not the fruit of the Spirit, pastors struggle with. So I walked into the uh, sanctuary of, of the place that we were having the conference at. And the first thing that went through my head, and this is just a this is full confession to you and makes me look really bad, but the first thought that went through my mind was, they didn't have wide screens like these. I don't know what the dimensions are, 16 by 9, something along those lines. They had square ones like that in the back. Everybody turn around and look at the one in the back. You know what it looks like because it's what your TV used to look like <laughs> unless you are under the age of 20. <laughs> so I walk in to this church as a godly, pastoral person. And I think, what is this, 1995? That's exactly what went through my head. I thought, well, 
What, they can't spring a hundred bucks for a new screen? A few hundred dollars for another projector? Why do I got to look at that screen? We would have done this so better. That is wrong. And I thought, why is it that when I go into an environment that is supposed to usher into the presence of God, all I can be is critical. Normally, normally um, we work hard to create a, a, a non-distracting environment for you. The, the, all the details are taking place, we're prepared, you know, turn the lights up, good screens, good projectors, good transitions. We work hard at those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, nobody wants to be in a situation that's distracting. Well, what's interesting is I think I've, when, when David talks about the fact that there will be many who pursue other things than the presence of God who will bring sorrow, and I've realized that I think that those things are more important to me than the presence of God. So, it's National Coffee Day today. If you didn't know that, you should know that. Um, in this day and age, you should know it. It's National Coffee Day. We have good coffee at our church, typically. And this morning, we had a little coffee mishap. On National Coffee Day, of all days... We had a problem, and I don't even know if there's any coffee out there, but if there is, it's not good. And I, and I, it says nothing about our hospitality. It was a big-time punt, like Folgers-type situation out there. It was an emergency. And normally, when I found out, I, was, I would be annoyed. I'd be frustrated. I'd be like, ugh, on National Coffee Day of all days? And I was reminded as I was standing in my office reading through my notes, thinking to myself, there are people whose children are being bullied. There are people whose children are dealing with drugs and depression and anxiety. And all I care about is whether we got good coffee. What's wrong with that? What's wrong when we expect everything to be perfect and right, but we don't expect the presence of the Holy Spirit? There's nothing wrong with having good coffee. Nothing. But when we expect good coffee over expecting the work of the Holy Spirit, we've got a problem. So, my confession to you is, well, at least I didn't commit adultery. At least I didn't murder anybody. No, my confession to you is, I'm just as wicked and the things that should be important have taken a back seat to things that have no eternal 
ramifications at all. This is the world that we live in. We, we live in a culture where there's the expectation of entertainment. And then we wonder why we continue to live this life with the same struggles, the same trials, and the same issues. Because we're not living in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Sounds a little bit harsh, and as I said earlier, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. If you benefit from this, you're welcome. But this is my confession to you. See, I have the privilege to, uh, to read the, the prayer requests. We have lots of these requests that are made. But what's interesting to me is that even in the card, which we promote every week, and we will still promote, it's not a bad thing. But in that, I think what's happened is we have, we have created cut flowers. Instead of planting seeds of rootedness, encouraging you to, to be rooted in the presence of the Holy Spirit and to be in relationship with God. Excuse me for a second. Is that gross? You're, you're welcome. See, it, there's nothing wrong with partnering with people to pray and, and any of those things, but, but is it possible that even in doing that, we're perpetuating this notion that, that you can't personally go to, into the presence of God, that, that, that you can't come into his presence and contend for God to move and work in whatever your situation is. Instead, we just become these cut flowers. And, and in becoming cut flowers, we begin to die. And the life that Jesus wants us to live is this abundant life. And I think we mistake this abundant life with this rich life. He doesn't ask us. He doesn't tell us we're going to have a rich life. No, he says you're going to have an abundant life. The abundant life looks like when you're going through things where your, your daughter, everybody's freaking out right now because you're like, oh, he doesn't come to me. <laughs> he knows my stuff. This isn't her situation, but actually it is her situation. Where my daughter is struggling. My adult daughter is struggling in this life, and I, I think it's okay to say that. That the answer isn't more church services. The answer isn't, isn't serving more or giving more. That we don't believe in some kind of Christian karma that says, well, if I just give more, if I just serve more, if I, just, if I start helping out with SA Heals, then God will love me and God will fix my solution. No, the solution to our problems is the presence of the Holy Spirit if we don't enter into the presence of the Holy Spirit, if we're not rooted in the power in the presence of the Holy Spirit, our problems, our trials, our issues will continue and continue and continue. 
It doesn't mean that in situations where your children are giving you a hard time or your adult children still live in your home, I don't, don't judge people, <laughs> that it doesn't mean that, that those things, it doesn't mean that because you've been given a diagnosis that all of a sudden the diagnosis is gone and that you're, you're healed. What it does mean is that when you, are, when you make known to me the path of life, that when I'm in his presence, there is fullness of joy. It's unexplainable. It's, that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense that, that in the midst of my cancer treatments, I could even have joy. It doesn't make sense that in the midst of walking my children through their anxiety that, that I could even have joy, and yet it reminds us that it's in his presence there is fullness of joy. It's the promise that he gives us. Now, I said this first service, and, and uh, I'll say it to you, that I'm fully aware. We, we live in a sensitive time when we're talking about depression and anxiety, when we're talking about mental illness. That's a real thing. It exists. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to say that people don't have that. None of that. I'm just wondering, though, if in his presence there is fullness of joy, is it possible that if we're dealing with someone who has no joy, maybe they're not in his presence? If we find ourselves just down all the time, my question first and foremost is, are you in his presence? Do you, do you spend time in the presence of God, in the, in the fullness of his Holy Spirit? Oftentimes the answer is no. But we wonder why things never seem to change. My confession to you and my apology to you is for creating an amazing environment. And this is an amazing environment if you've been to other churches. Not the best, it's just a good one. And prioritizing the environment over the expectation of the supernatural. And getting up here and giving you message after message after message with the realization that no message in the world is going to bring joy into your life, but for the presence of God. I think that's it. I think that I felt like I needed to say that to you. I felt I needed to apologize to you. And I guess the question is then, where do we go from here? How does this apply to that? It doesn't really. I mean, it does. Because here's the thing. If you go out into this world, if you leave the, these walls and you try to 
share with people about the hope of this world. And yet you're a cut flower. It ain't gonna work. It's not. It might seem nice and might bring some happiness and joy temporarily, but at the end of the day, it is fleeting. The solution to the multiplication of people in this world that we live in is being rooted and planted in the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit for each of our lives. That that's where hope comes from, that when your next-door neighbor watches you endure your cancer treatments and your chemo and all of that, and yet somehow in the midst of that there's joy, they see something different than what the world has to offer. That when your family watches you navigate your children's anxiety in the home and depression and things like that, and the, when the world tells you you need to just send them off to counseling, you need to medicate them, you need to do all of this, and yet somehow in the midst of that, there is this hope and life that comes not from all those things, but comes from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your home. When you've got problems in your marriage and all of a sudden somehow there is this shift that takes place in your heart and people want to know why, what changed? You were headed for divorce. Why now all of a sudden you're, you, you love each other and you care about each other but for the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? If you're looking for hope for your trials and your problems, and your struggles with your family, look no further than the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. 